0: It's going. It's going. Goodbye, Ron. Bye. What's going on here? We're going Shut on starting. Are we? Are we on? <laughs> yeah. Hello there. Thank you, Ron. Oh, thanks, Ron. <laughs> sorry, Ron. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson, and this is The Road Taken, and I'm sorry we're coming to you a little late. We're having some technical difficulties, but there's nothing like restarting the iphone 10 to get it rolling we're here in the home of filmmaker I'm henry sure Jackson. It it's working um, all right we've <laughs> got marty and ross to, i and have Henny. to show i
1: need to see the, i have to prove to henry i still don't understand the concept of being live here it's we are Here we
0: are, right there on facebook live <laughs> yes there that is you on facebook that <laughs> is us back. right there okay. ross okay. is on so hi ross so everybody, I'm sorry that we're, we're a little late getting to you, but we, we, we are out that's on remote. This is, this is live.
1: That's good. See? This proves that it's live. <laughs> this, this proves that makes, it's live. This really makes the <laughs> limit we're not doing some number about, uh, oh, you we're pretending to be a live show. That's
0: right. We are an absolutely right. live show. And with me is Henry Jaglom. I was going to say filmmaker, but he's so much more than that. Henry is an artist. He was an actor. He's an author. He's a screenwriter, he's a playwright, he's he's but the best thing for me about Henry is not just the fact that he put me in two of his movies, but the fact that he has the greatest stories. I don't want to give him too big a build up, but he can't disappoint. No, I won't disappoint. <laughs> he cannot disappoint. I so promise you so, I won't disappoint. so all right, so to to get everybody's feet wet, to yeah. to, to, to jump into something really juicy. Yeah. Let's talk about the monkeys.
1: Oh god. Come on, not... Henry this I've got nothing to do with the monkeys. I just happen to be around in the same group at BBS when Bert Schneider and Bob Rafelson produced The Monkees. And I happened to be there when they were casting, and I, they happened to ask my opinion uh, because I was part of a small group that was making some kind of... They, Bert and Bob were making the decisions. Right. And they asked, what do you think of this one? And I said no to one person, yes to somebody else. And, and I brought them um, Davy Jones, who I knew from Broadway because he had... I, would been, I had been... Spending time with <laughs> Georgia Brown was a lady in my life, the, old, the older lady in my life. And um, uh, he was in, in uh, uh, what was the play? Oliver. It was, it was in Oliver with her on Broadway. And we Which were, I saw when I was nine, my first Broadway show. Oh, it was your first Broadway it, it's show? It's the
0: reason that I wanted to be an actress.
2: Oh, I awesome. saw that and it so you changed. You saw
1: Georgia? My, I saw Georgia. That, you were nine? That's, I distur- was nine. that's very disturbing. <laughs> While you were nine, I was with Georgia Brown in, a, in our... You were
0: with her while she was on Broadway.
1: Yeah, in a romantic. Uh, yeah, so it just shows you that you and I aren't the same age like you claim we are. <laughs> You're very nice to do that. Um, but I
0: am wearing. But I am wearing, wearing a scarf. scarf. You yeah, know, homage that, to Henry that's because
1: I'm because, uh, a scarf freak.
0: He's a scarf, and I'm sweating, but I'm doing it anyway
1: because I. Or chiffon or silk. A lighter I, sh- scarf, I know. Right? I needed a lighter scarf. You've got to learn about scarfdom. <laughs> you
0: know? So, 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 so Henry said I had nothing to do with the monkeys, but meanwhile, he's the one that introduced them to Davy Jones. Yeah, so, yeah, but that's, that's
1: not. But, I'm, but Bob Rafelson created yes. the monkeys and did all of the creative work, and the various directors, Jim Frawley and the others, mm-hmm. you know, directed them. I, all I was, I just happened to be around during that period. Bringing
0: when, Davy Jones into the equation is a pretty big part okay, of the okay, equation. I'm,
1: I'm glad he's dead, unfortunately, so he, he can Do you know that I booked Davy anything.
0: Jones at the Rock and Roll Cafe in 1987 in a club this big, and really? he sang, yeah. Oh,
1: that's cool. I didn't know that.
0: And I'm, and and now uh, Mike and and he's Michael actually, and Mickey are friends. And Mike Nesmith. Yeah.
1: He's Michael. You don't call him that. People. No, he goes
0: by Michael. Yeah. I never knew him very well. Yeah. Um, but oh, anyway, he that's that was on your show. He it? was. That's it, he actually brought us up to the Henry Miller Library, and we did Women Who Write up there. And it was the first time he played out in like 17 years. And then he rejoined the monkeys after that.
1: But the monkeys didn't exist. They did. They, they, have they, always existed without Davy.
0: Yes. Oh,
1: I didn't know that. Did yeah, it was a
0: substitute for that. Um, no. Uh, maybe, anyway, why are we talking yeah. about the monkeys? Forget the monkeys. So Let's talk, talk about enough Henry. About the enough, enough about the monkeys. I didn't so to so we're about in them. Henry's incredible <laughs> home. If you did not see the promo video, we were in Henry's living room with, with the... Co- okay, so where do the costumes come from? They're not costumes. They're
1: dresses. Their dresses. Skirts, okay. blouses, they're clothes. They're clothes. They're Tana, my wife, yes. Anna Frederick, the yes. star of my movies and, and my wife, Yes. And the star of seven plays of, of ours. Um, and she was one day putting the clothes out the dresses and things out for one of the movies I don't remember which one trying to decide which you know what what you wear in each different Mm -hmm. scene and I loved the look of it the feel of it in our house and I said well let's leave that up she said, "Well, I didn't pick that one. I didn't. Yeah." I said, "But they're all great, and they create a kind of atmosphere. And since then, we've had this wonderful—we'll uh, see if you show it on this thing. Yes. this wonderful atmosphere of dresses and, and beautiful fabrics, and you know, and it creates a very feminine world that I love uh, to be in."
0: Speaking of which, I was telling Louise before we came about uh, Louise Planck behind. Come, come, say hi, Louise.
1: But smile, because <laughs> don't look so serious.
0: <laughs> Thank you for being behind the camera, Louise. I was telling Louise about the footage that you had sent me of you with Paul Mazursky and Orson was behind the He's camera, so Funny, and, and at the time, I didn't realize that it was part of the film. I no. thought you were having a conversation. Oh,
1: no, no, but people, several people didn't get that. No, no, that is, unfortunately, probably the whole thing won't be in the final movie. Peter Bogdanovich is now finally cutting Orson's movie. Thanks to you,
0: movie. I interviewed Peter, and he talked about it.
1: Uh ah, but... We'll see if we are happy about Peter, depending how many of those seven minutes end up in the final film. Peter, (laughs) I hope you're watching. (laughs) Uh, But but, um, what was I saying?
0: You were talking about that scene uh, that many people have thought it was a real conversation. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's all. I was getting even with Mazursky for something he did that I didn't like when I was an actor and he was a director. Anyway, it's a funny, it's in Orson's last film, called The Other Side of the Wind, which I believe now will be released finally. Peter's
0: been working on it for... for two years now. And he made a promise to Orson that he would yes, finish sir. it, correct? Yes. And so in Henry's World, um, you made Orson's final film that he was in.
1: I Yes. I, what I did was... What I'm proudest about that is I captured Orson for the first time as Orson. Because Orson always put it on these fake noses and these accents and these performances. And he saw a movie I made about my divorce called Always Mm -hmm. but not forever and I love that movie actually thank you I'm pretty fond of it myself Mm -hmm. though it was incredibly painful to make because it was me and my ex-wife talking about the fact that she was leaving me Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to persuade her not to leave me and it was exactly the reality of real life we took fictional names we created a fictional 4th of July party but it was completely completely emotionally truthful it is if you look at the always but not forever the entire truth emotionally and we and i was going through a lot of pain because she was leaving me but orson said and i said to orson one day at lunch because we had this we had this very close relationship as you know if you read the book uh, you know
0: okay so let's just we, we, well, no, we, I, I don't I want finish, to break away let's yes let finish, finish the story
1: because um see what happens. If... Okay, so I can bring you back. So No, no, you can't. I'll bring you okay, back. Okay, good. So, um, I said to Orson, I'm paralyzed because I'm in so much pain. And he said, uh, make a movie. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you make movies about real things. Make a movie about the end of your marriage. I wow. said, what? He said, ask her and shoot it in the house you live in together. I said, what? He said, create a little fictional story, which I did, the 4th of July mm-hmm. party and all of that. But, give yourself other names, but create a basic truth about, and tell the truth emotionally, and she'll do it. And I know her, she's an actor, and she's a great girl, and she'll do it, and she did. She gives a terrific performance, I think. Yes, that's, yes, absolutely. And that is how always, been. so does a single, people are saying, are you crazy? Why, how? Because I'm going through the pain of the breakup of the relationship, I'm going through the worst pain I've ever had in my life, and making a movie about it with the person who was leaving me and causing all the pain and uh, trying to tell the truth. So that's an interesting movie. It is
0: an interesting, and and it was thanks to
1: Orson, which is amazing. Because he said, I could never do it myself because I don't tell the truth, I create movies. But you are very intent on telling everybody the truth all the time. He, He thought it was amusing that I was sort of an insistent truth teller. He thought that was some kind of a peculiarity of mine. He said he loved to lie and create stories and create an image and not be himself.
0: So, and so you were just saying, so in, in the film, you're so proud of your last, his last film that.
1: In, in my last, so I said to him, okay, I'll, I'll do this, and but later we're going to make a film with you, in which he said, I can't do that. I can't show myself warts and all. I, mean, I play characters, I've got great noses. This little nose, he said, it doesn't do anybody any good, it's no good, it <laughs> no interest to in anybody. I said, Austin, you're going to do a real movie, you're going to have your real nose, and you're going to tell truth, whatever you believe about it, and I'm going to create it, it's a movie called Someone to Love, mm-hmm. and you're just going to sit in the back of the theater and hold forth to me and a group of my friends who are lo- lonely and thinking about why are we going through this difficult period in history when relationships are so fraught and difficult mm-hmm. to sustain, um, and you're going to talk about it from your point of view, and it's going to be for the first time really showing who you are. And he showed up with a... With a ridiculous nose, <laughs> a, a Greek accent. I don't know what he thought he was doing. Something, like that. and I said, Orson, we had this long discussion. This whole preparation is going. This is the movie in which you're going to tell the truth. You're going to be more. He said, Okay, okay. Go away for one hour. And I come back, and I, and I don't remember. It's an Arab, and he's got. I said, and it's something other kind of nose. I said, your nose. He said, I can't. Nobody will take this nose seriously. I said, don't be crazy. You're Orson Welles. Try to remember that. just we want you as. and finally he let me think I tricked him which you couldn't trick Orson and I knew that but he let me think I tricked him into doing the real getting him on film and I do at the very end do a trick because at the very end Orson felt that a fat man should never be on film because and should never laugh on film sorry because laughing on film is very unattractive for a fat man because you know he didn't appreciate Sidney Green Street for instance who I loved you know all of that so he never would be on laughing on film. So he, at the end of Someone to Love, he, he, I'm going out, I'm going at him. I want more, I want more. He says, okay, that's enough. And he turns to my cinematographer and he says, cut. And my cinematographer, you know, Hanania Bear, my cinematographer, who's worked with me on 15 Every, films yeah. or so, cuts. And I run over, I said, what are you doing? He said, and I can't blame him. He said, Orson Welles <laughs> told me to cut. <laughs> what am I going to do in life? If Orson Wills tells me to cut, I'm going to cut. So I flicked it back on myself. I didn't even know what that machine was, but it turns out to be a very simple little little switch. So I switched it back on, and Orson, at this point, thinking it's off, has reached behind him, somehow pulls out a lit cigar, I don't know how he did that, and is laughing uproariously as everybody else in the theater is applauding him. And that's what I used at the end of the movie, the laugh that if he had lived, I would never have been able to put in the movie because it's him laughing. Aww. And it's the most wonderful, all-embracing. And, and he gets the last laugh on all those people who made his life so difficult and all, of the, all the problems he had. And it, it, and it gives me goosebumps even as I'm talking about it. It's because, giving me goosebumps too. Oh. Because and every time I see that section of the very end of the film and he thinks of the camera's off, and it's so charming, and of course, it's the opposite of what he thought it was. His most warm, embracing laugh, and uh, he was such a—I mean, I really loved this man. So it was—it was a wonderful thing to, to, to sneak up on him, and 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 then when when um, what's his name, um, his best friend and competitor endlessly, who directed *The Maltese Falcon*, uh, uh, Houston, John Houston. Mm-hmm. When Houston came to my office, he wanted to, after Orson died, he wanted to see the last footage of Orson, so I showed him that. And he said, he's laughing. He's laughing on camera.
2: Wow. He, never let,
1: he would never let us show him laughing on camera. And he was crying, John Houston. Oh. It was, it was, the whole thing's very big.
0: And, and Orson was also in your first? My big, very
1: first film, A, a Safe, safe place. place, yeah.
0: OK, so how, how, before we get to A Safe Place, how did you meet him?
1: My friend Peter Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. I knew him.
0: How did you know Peter?
1: Peter and I knew each other from New York when he was programming the New Yorker theater, I think it was called, with old movies, and we got into fights, because he thought the great old movies were these westerns by John Ford, which I thought were terribly boring, and I thought the great movies were being made in Europe in the 60s, mm. you know, by Fellini, and then, you know, in, in, in England, and in France, and Italy especially, and he wasn't interested in any of that. He was interested in the movies of, of the past, and we were friends. And at this point, when I got to make my first movie I wanted Orson in it Mm -hmm. and so I went to Peter who I knew knew Orson and I want to meet Orson so he arranged it so I flew to New York I go to the uh, whatever floor that was at the the Plaza Hotel and he answers the door he's in purple silk pajamas this big gigantic grape you know just huge round thing in silk pajamas he says what do you want at the door he doesn't say come in he doesn't say who are you he said, What do you want? I said, I'm Henry Jackman." And he said, What is that supposed to mean to me? And I said, I have an appointment to meet you. He said, You don't have any appointment. I said, I do have an appointment. Peter Bogdanovich arranged it. He said, Well, I don't know. What, what is it about? He said, I said, and I'm still standing at the door. I said, May I come in and sit down? Give me one hour and I'll tell you what it's about. And he let me in and I talked and I talked and he said, I'm not interested in doing this, and this is your first movie, and why would I do it? And I said, Citizen Kane was your first movie. You're telling me first movies are somehow a negative thing? What, what you? And we got into this whole thing, and I was surprised. He was surprised by how strong, bold? bold, and strong I was mm-hmm. in relation to him. And he said, you know, you remind me of me. That was the nicest part of it. Wow. And he said, but I'm sorry, I just don't, you don't have a script. I said, but I'm not going to write a script for a character if I don't think you're playing it. Why would I write it to you? If, if I know it's you, I'll write the perfect part. And he said, and I started selling him on this Wonder Rabbi uh, who is in Central Park and blah, 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 blah. And I finally said, uh, and "He makes some, he makes the animals in the zoos disappear." But then finally, he realizes what he has to make disappear. And Orson says, "What?" And I said, "If you want to know that, you're going to have to do the film."
2: <laughs>
1: and he said, "He said like this." He thought. He said, "Can I wear a cape?" <laughs> but, and I knew I had him. I knew I had him. Oh,
0: okay. and who else was in that film, Henry?
1: Tuesday Weld.
0: Was it her debut?
1: No. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, but it was. It was. Because you did debut a number of people. Yes, yes, but not Tuesday. Okay. And Jack Nicholson. Uh, Jack Nicholson, in that, Nicholson who was mm-hmm. also not debuted. Right. Um, Philip Proctor, who was debuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gwen Wells, who was debuted. But Tuesday, and Orson, yeah.
0: So, and then your relationship with Orson morphed into something far more than just. Oh yeah. That cinematic. Relationship. Yeah, and anybody
1: who wants to know about that just has to get a copy of My Lunches with Orson, which is a book of our lunches that Peter Biskin put together. Terrifically.
0: Which is extraordinary. And do you have a favorite Orson story? I've heard a couple of them. I got so
1: many. Um, the, Ava, the Ava story. I've been marching out on this stuff for forever. Uh, Orson story, Ava. I I think it was no. an
0: Ava. Okay, t- so t- pick pick a story. Pick no, any okay, story. Sorry. An Orson story that he shared with you at I lunch. Can't, I can't do that.
1: Really? No, because I don't know. I wouldn't know where to even begin. Okay. Pick All a story. Right. No, I can't. Sorry, it didn't prepare me to. Have a, a you, access to a story. Well, yeah, you don't need access to a story. Okay,
0: so let so let's go back to where how you started. Were you born in England?
2: You weren't yeah, born here. I was
0: born in England. And yeah. ha- how long were you there? Before one year.
1: You, one year. Okay. Yeah. And then we went. Uh, two days before the Germans invaded Poland, uh, we got on the ship, the mm-hmm. last ship, the last ship to leave England, the last civilian ship before World War II. Wow. While we were. On the ocean, mm-hmm. crossing the Atlantic, the second day, September 3rd,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the Germans invaded uh, Poland. And World War II began on September 3rd, when England and France declared war on Germany. We were out aboard the ship. Suddenly, it was blackouts. I was not conscious. I was a right. like one-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it was quite an adventure, I understand, from everybody. But and that's how we came to America.
2: What,
0: what did what did your father what, what what were your parent, what did your parents do in your in, in London? My
1: father, uh, what, I don't know how to explain that. He was a business a business person, mm-hmm. a very successful businessman, very brilliant businessman who also had run the economy of the. It's not that's not interesting. It's a small state created by the League of Nations that the Germans, when they came to Poland, destroyed. It was called Danzig. It's now mm-hmm. Gdańsk in Poland. And he ran the economy all the trade between Germany and Poland for them. He was a Jew mm-hmm. and when things got bad for Jews, they offered him, believe it or not, they, they, he wanted, they wanted him to stay and he said, I'm going to England, this is not a good time to be a Jew in this country and I'm leaving before it gets worse. Mm-hmm. And he tried to persuade a lot of other people to leave who didn't, stupid fuckers, sorry. And um, mm. it's always shocking to think about that. And and. Um, I'm very interested in Jewish history. That's why I'm writing the book, you know. So, so uh, it, um, they came back with an offer to him. They would make him and his family honorary Aryans. Wow! You ever, you ever hear of such an absurd yeah. honorary Aryans? And he said to my mother, "Okay, we're not waiting now. We're gonna get in the car and go across the pond and fly to England, and leave everything for now. We'll get everything over to England." But he left the office. He left all his everything, employees, everything. And they crossed over because he said, when they want to make you an honorary something that you're not, it's not good to be what you are. Uh,
2: And
1: he said, that's the time to get out. Wow. So he took us all to England. Mm -hmm. They took them all. My father, my my mother and my brother Mm -hmm. and himself. And then I was born in London, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which he wanted because at that time the British Empire meant something. He wanted me to be an English citizen. And then the war came and he got us out, which was amazing on that last ship.
0: How, d- and wow. I am going to go
1: into how he did that uh-huh. and he got it and we came to America. And you, to New York? No, we came to Montreal for one year. You got to, oh, it oh. was not that easy because he had a Romanian passport, that's a boring story. Essentially, we came to the New World, we came to America, Okay. North America.
0: Came to North America and, and where did you grow up? Manhattan. That's okay. And uh, at what point, what was the uh, pretty nice place to grow up? It was wonderful.
1: I was watching the parades. I was just thinking of the other day because it, it, it was on, uh, not the other day, but recently, the uh, Thanksgiving May Day, uh, what is it, was, Thanksgiving Day? Macy's. Macy's Parade. Mm-hmm. We watched that out of our 11th story <laughs> building, the, the park, and I thought it was so nice. That my parents were letting all these people into our park, into our garden, and I I was four or five, I don't know. And the floats were coming, and they—I thought it was for me. The floats were this—so this big Disney animals floating by, exactly at my eye level. I was being held, you know, uh, on the eleventh floor, and um, and oh look, all those people are gathered there that my parents are letting in into our whatever the park of ours, whatever the Central Park. It was an incredibly, uh, I remember so vividly seeing those uh, two or three years I didn't quite get the fact that those there was a separation here. So, uh, um, I think that create, by the way, that helps create a fantasy life. That ha- helps create a kind of unreality reality which affects you later on in creativity making movies or plays or whatever you do. Um, it, it puts it, the notion of time and space into a very different kind of you know, I think we all have in our childhood certain things that, that take us out of the conventional reality and I think that's what artists find themselves hooked into. Did your mother did your mother um, encourage that? My mother encouraged me very much to be an artist. My father did not. He didn't understand it and he thought, Why should you know, I should be like every Jaguar had been the businessman. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: No, she was very encouraging, yeah.
0: And so, uh, but I what, never
1: got to tell her that I thought hanging me out of the window on those messy days parades <laughs> were part of the DNA, part of what happened and encouraged me to create the films, and even the kind of films, uh, you know, that I do make about people and human relationships rather than about spaceships and aliens. And was, do
0: you think it's because of your, your films, are, or you are very sensitive woman to women? Woman-centered, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's because of my mother and her friends, her lady friends. They gave me a, a sort of uh, a, a space to live when I was having a very hard time as a boy in school. And I went to an all boy school and an all boy summer camp, which mm-hmm. was the single thing I'm still mad at my parents' so about long after then I'm around. Um, and uh, I was I had a very hard time until I found comedy. I had a very hard time with other boys, and I was Cry Baby Henry, and they were dancing around me in camp, and oh. threatening to beat me up at school. and. Um, the women, my mother and her friends, who played cards every Thursday played bridge, um, encouraged a different aspect of me, which is why I, I love the feminine I love the the womanness of the world, and I got to know it and allowed to enter it. I was not told you can't do this, this is only for girls, so I got to enjoy the the, the whole thing the fabrics, the colors the the playing the, and the emotions because basically what I was doing was sitting and listening to these. Women talking about their lives, and they talked very freely in front of me, and they were sad and they were lonely, and the men were screwing up, and this was happening, and they were having an affair, and they were devastated, and their hearts were out and I knew from all the boys in school and from the men I was meeting that men didn 't do that men didn 't tell what they were really feeling men was about external things it was about sports or cars or football or you know uh, you know it was or the army, I don't know, it was about, it had nothing to do with the internal feelings that they were experiencing. And uh, that gave me kind of a comfort zone that when I started making movies, I thought it, it's boys still and boy baby men in Hollywood who are making these movies. Mm-hmm. And they're making it for other boy babies. And there aren't really <laughs> women in these movies going through their real lives. They're, they're reactive parts of men's lives mostly. Mm-hmm. In the, and I determined that if I could get to make my own movies, I would make them about women's lives as much as I possibly could and about the truth so that women would feel less alone and less like they were going through something that was making them crazy. Because, the, you know, it was it, would, it just to show the truth of women's lives on film in many different aspects. And that's why films like Eating, Eating Shopping, Baby Fever, baby shopping fever. And, yeah, the so, M-Word, I mean, yeah. yes,
0: you've... Absolutely honored that. And your films are filled with women, all of your films. And
1: discussing issues related to women's lives. Mm -hmm. And it was so lacking, you know, and it was very important, I felt. And uh, my mother made that, I think, impossible for me. And she lived to see that? She lived, Yeah, but she lived, she didn't live to see, unfortunately, uh, when it really started getting getting popular and good. Mm -hmm. But what she did see, the last film she saw was Always in which my then wife leaves me and uh, after the movie I said what did you think and she said well I had a hard time because you know she's mm-hmm. leaving you and she in real life she left and I, I just I don't know and then she paused and a second and she thought you know I thought that during the movie if this were 30 years earlier I probably would have left your father so the movie got to her. Wow. She, wow! she acknowledged. Sam yeah, is calling.
0: Yes, um, my daughter is in New York. She just saw waitress tonight, oh. and she's at Tish in, in NYU. Oh, my
1: daughter went to Tish. Wh- which studio was she in? What studio? I don't know. Uh,
0: studio. Samantha's in Atlantic Theater. They I have mean, like I different. Lee Strasberg, Stella Adler. Yeah. Was, Lee Strasberg is now at Tish. Well, he, they have a studio. That's so ridiculous, but I won't go
1: into Cause that. because I know you started at Strasberg, and Lee Strasberg was a. Studio. You know, Orson and Lee Strasberg are the two most influential people in my life. It was great to listen to at the actor's studio twice a week. I just, you know, even I, I fell asleep many times. He was boring. <laughs> really? But always inside of it, there was something said that, like, changed your life. Once, at least each each time, Lee, I did these drawings of Lee. Did you see those? I haven't seen those. And I, and at and, and talking at the studio. Um, he was something. He, he was a huge influence also.
0: How did all that start for you? So, so you were listening to these conversations. You were allowed to feel your feelings. Yeah,
1: and I was to, allowed to know that feelings were good, that feelings were, were and, and that self-involvement was good. Did your father never try to squash that? No. That's the great thing about my father. That's no, pretty terrific. He didn't at all. He, he, he knew that I was somehow enjoying this incredibly complicated relationship, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't seem complicated, but it was unusual for a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the world of women. I loved everything about their, their lives and, their, and, and listening to the, what they were concerned about. and uh, it was always feelings, and I knew I was full of feelings. So feelings were life, and men, boys, they weren't dealing with it. as I said. No, my father was wonderful in the sense that he never tried to um, change me in any way.
0: So that enabled you to not have shame.
1: No shame. That's the strange thing I hear from all of my, so many people who are close to me. It's hard for them to believe when they get to know me. I've never experienced, I don't know what that means, shame. I don't wow. know what it means to feel shame. I don't understand why you people are suffering shame. I can't get it. Well, that's having
0: pretty fabulous parents. Is that that it? I, I do believe that's what that is. Okay. I, I believe that's what it is. He didn't seem,
1: fa- he's just, he was, he was tough, but loving. Very, very loving. And it gave me a very secure feeling in life, his, mm-hmm. his existence, his power. Mm-hmm. and his. The, but he didn't, and he didn't interfere with what I was getting from my mother, which was, to me, a much bigger gift, I thought. Mm-hmm. But I realized he gave me the stability mm-hmm. to enjoy that gift, and not be neurotic about it somehow. You know? So, at, at what point, when did you, like your
0: earliest memory of what is this I wanted to do? Should
1: talk, shouldn't we be talking about yeah, the movies? Okay. No, 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 okay. this
0: is good. Okay. Because what this show is, Henry, the, ro- the Road Taken, is basically how you did what you do because hopefully it will inspire and encourage and, and give oh, tools to people who are seeking. Okay. So so when you what is your earliest
1: memory of when I grew up I want to be I was 9 years old mm-hmm. and I, it was it was before television or at least before we had a television. Okay. So radio was what right. where you heard uh, Bob Hope and mm-hmm. where you had Jack Benny and then one day I heard Lux presents live from Hollywood, the Lux Radio Theater of the Air. And I don't mm-hmm. even remember what the play was that they did on the, on the radio, but it was from live from Hollywood mm-hmm. and then I had been going to Bob Hope and Bing Crosby had a series of movies the road to this Oh yeah, yeah. road to that mm-hmm. and I told my mother that I'm going to Hollywood I'm going to make movies." And she said, "What are you talking about? Eat, eat your soup <laughs> told, <laughs> you're nine what? I was nine And I said, "I'm going to Hollywood I you know you know, I had a strange sense of things as a child. She found a postcard, which she showed me. She ha- kept it all her life. I was seven years old, and I sent it from summer camp, where which I went every summer in Maine to this camp. And she, uh, boys camp, which was horrible yeah. from that point of view. And uh, it said, Dear Mommy, I'm fine. Uh, whatever, uh, everything's good. Love, Henry. P.S. Keep this card for future historians. <laughs> seven years old. Wow. Just the fact that you knew that word. Were word historians? (laughs) Yeah. The concept that they were in that uh, this card would be kept by her and somehow would exist in the future. That's what really gets me. The awareness of placing your life in a curve of time. I don't know how I understood any of that or what it really meant. But she just she thought it was the key. And she when she finally showed it to me I was thirty one. Wow. And I remember that that day so well in her bedroom she went into the drawer of this thing she had and she pulled out this postcard I looked at the stamp I couldn't quite believe I figured I was seven save this card for future historians so it gave me a pretty exaggerated sense of myself I must (laughs) admit, Um, and uh, that has not always been the thing that everybody's loved most about me (laughs) Um, because it is it has created a certain arrogance I suppose I try to temper that arrogance hopefully with S- sufficient interest in other people's arrogance and I want everybody else to be arrogant too <laughs> but I don't deny my own arrogance and I think maybe the word is self-confidence more mm-hmm. than arrogance mm-hmm. I hope it is and I hope it's gotten tempered over the years
0: Well, there's also tremendous compassion and empathy that so. you
1: possess yeah. and so I think that's that true. Sure. Uh, and that for sure came from my mother absolutely for sure because my father was perfect he felt perfect his life was perfect. He had had a very traumatic thing happen at 20 when his father was murdered in Russia uh, by guests in the house of czarist soldiers. It's a whole long story. Mm-hmm. And he had to suddenly run the family at 20. His mother, then within six months, died of whatever that was that was plaguing all of Europe at that time. And suddenly he was out on his own with three younger brothers. And, and he was the most self-sufficient man who took care of everybody
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and was completely self-confident in every way
2: mm-hmm.
1: but didn't have any searching inward part mm-hmm. of him mm-hmm. that existed at all. That was not very manly back then. It wasn't for him about not being manly. He didn't have images of manly which is why I never was given any of that crap. No, it was just not self-confident. Why do you need to worry about those things? Ah. What's the problem? Uh-huh. You shouldn't have a problem. Everything's good in life. Mm-hmm. That was his. He was. He was an extraordinarily self-contained man, and whatever pain he had from that early life, how, he had had this great childhood, and suddenly this difficult time, mm-hmm. and he repressed it into. A, but he was very loving. He was very, very caring, and um, and uh, he managed somehow successfully to make himself happy, at least for his very little, ninety-six years of life.
0: Wow, that's a lot of longevity. And walk to
1: the walk to his office every day till ninety-five. At least a mile to the central. He Park. continued
0: to work until he uh, was ninety five? Yeah,
1: absolutely, run run his world with all his employees, yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, how long did your mother live? How old was she? She was only eighty, and mm-hmm. she, she had a bunch of things that happened. And she did not do old age well because mm-hmm. she I see I saw the other thing with her. She was so she was a very attractive woman, mm-hmm. considered to be quite a beauty. And um, when that faded, mm-hmm. she didn't know how to handle it. She did not have the inner resources. That made me even more compassionate to what women go through because she had been so successful from being a hostess, from being a beauty, mm-hmm. for being a flirt, for you know, just all her charm. Mm-hmm. And when that exterior started as inevitably it does fading, mm-hmm. she did not have the resources. And she could have been a wonderful writer, for instance, mm-hmm. but she had wanted to be as a girl, but she was told that in her class you don't do that, you just get married, you become a hostess. To charity, and you know, and then give parties basically, and have affairs. Because she was upper class. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was upper mm-hmm. class, and she had these affairs. And um, I, I found all these love letters, which are fabulous, so exciting, uh, you know, but were hidden, mm-hmm. and um, that I hid them afterwards from my father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she, uh, but she, so she didn't, she didn't do age well. Mm-hmm. And again, it was like it, it wasn't fair because. My, nobody was saying to my father, you look old. Because uh, like, he was a man. Because he was a man, therefore what he was mm-hmm. doing wasn't being affected by mm-hmm. being older. Mm-hmm. And she, from when, she just really, uh, anyway, it's a touching uh, difference and it was very illustrative of what we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I just talked about this at Women Who Write yesterday about how much my image is, is affecting my internal um, sense of self. Right,
1: sure. Um, as I age, it's... We sat at a cafe during her, when she started getting ill. hmm Is that working okay? Yeah. Um, I didn't just arbitrarily do that. I want the viewer to know that somebody just stood up and looked like they were fixing <laughs> machine, so I wanted I to, like to see who's watching. No, I just... And it I, shows I, you who's I watching. I wanted the viewer to know that I wasn't arbitrarily asking the machine.
0: Ah,
2: yes. Yo, yeah, Louise is behind the person. camera. <laughs> Louise is
0: there.
1: Anyway, I what else about. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, one day we, so I took her to this room and she was now not well mm-hmm. and she looked and the window of the restaurant was glass and we looked out onto Columbus Avenue and all the people walking and she, I said you don't look happy she said I'm very melancholy I said why I, she said I look out of the window and I think of all the men looking in at me and I remember all the times we would flirt through windows and just smile and now I see I think they see an old sick woman I can't Aww. handle I just can't handle that Aww. she said Said, but you've got so much else going on.
2: Mm-hmm. You've got
1: this high intelligence. You've got this liter. She read. She read a book every single night in French, English, or German. Oh my God! Every night a novel. I mean, she was a brilliant woman, and she never was allowed to use that or encouraged to use it, mm-hmm. and didn't realize how important it was. So that when that when the exterior went away, mm-hmm. and all this flirting and all this, you know, being the hostess and being the beauty, she just had no. It's it's she, that was her self worth. That was her identification mm-hmm. of what she was worth. And she knew the other, but she couldn't use it.
0: Well, you've, you've gifted her with that through your work, Henry, um, by celebrating women as you have in
1: your work. I think that's possibly why I, I, I've never stopped to examine it to that degree, but I think probably that has a lot to do with it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: with why I, why I want them, them, women, mm-hmm. to know it's OK.
0: It's making me cry, having know this conversation. To,
1: that, that they're enough. And it's not about, th- there, it's not it about is, whether they look this way or that. Or whether. there it
0: is, right there, about being enough. Yeah. I, I talk about this being pretty enough. much every day. I we never
1: feel that that's we're the enough. word I keep using to, to friends of mine. You are enough. What what are you? What who told you that there's something else to be? Mm-hmm. You're full and expressive and, and brilliant. What what is what is? Uh, you because weigh, we've been kept down. You weigh down ten pounds some... more than you want to weigh. Because Suddenly we, it's about we've you know, been
0: shown uh, all of this what yeah. we are supposed to be, yes, and yeah. we don't live up to that and nobody can
1: because it's airbrushed and it's fake and it's, it's not even that bad. it's it's like well, it's not it's valueless mm-hmm. it's 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 the meaning and it's it's just uh, and um, I don't think that's changed as much as people like to think it's changed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the messages women are still getting mm-hmm. uh, they're still getting the shaft as far as I can see but anyway, okay, so let's
2: get
0: back to Henry. so. So, you're a little kid and you want to be a, you, a film. Actor. you don't want to be, you didn't say actor. You, no, I you wanted to be
1: a comedian first, Bob ah. Hope and all of that, okay. Danny, Danny Kaye, Bob Hope, mm-hmm. and I became an actor and uh, started studying at Strasbourg and starting doing stand-up comedy with Richie Pryor at the Improvisation, which we, I painted the sign and returned for six months of free meals. The original improvisation sign for Bud Friedman. Wow. Yeah. Ross
0: Mark, his stepson, is watching right now. Oh,
2: really? I didn't yes. Know. Oh, that's nice. Hi, Hi Ross.
1: Mark, Mark, uh, Mark? Ross Mark. Ross Mark. Yeah. Uh, Bud was very, very nice to me. And we stayed there almost every night till four in the morning when they were closed. And Richie and I got to go up maybe at two in the morning mm-hmm. when there was mostly, sorry, um, uh, Bud when there were just a few drunks and a couple of, you know, people... Uh, a, couple a, hook, a couple of other hooker, comics? A couple of hookers and a couple <laughs> of other comics. And Richie Pryor and I got up and did whatever we did. And then at four in the morning, we would The place closed, we mm-hmm. would walk the city streets till the sun came up talking about comedy. What is funnier, a duck or a chicken? Why is a duck or, not as funny as a chicken? And we would have these long, profound, extraordinary conversations. And we had arranged to do though we had no power, mm-hmm. we had arranged a plan and we'd written all this thing out of being a, a comedy team in a TV series about a black guy and a white guy and there was no such thing and we'd written all this stuff and we were preparing and trying to sell it and go to people and then suddenly I Spy? I Spy showed up it was like our concept for at, wow. least, for at least a year earlier and nobody yet knew who Richie Pryor was and of course I was a completely unknown kid and we had these and I'd written all the we have done all this stuff and the uh, We were really messed up. Were you funny? I think we were both very funny. Richie Pryor was funnier than me because Richie Pryor would do things that I wouldn't do. He would just suddenly take off all his clothes. (laughs) And and nobody had ever done that. Right. And it was outrageous. And what are you doing? And, you know, I've got a great story which I can't tell you here because, but about, you know, we had a a war game who could make the other laugh. And he always won. He always won. So,
0: do you remember what your hook was as a comic? Like what was? I didn't have a
1: hook as a comic. Okay. I was, I was bright, mm-hmm. political, funny. I was Mort Saul-ish. Ah, I don't Ah, if you know who that is. I he,
0: he's my Twitter friend. He's alive. He tw- yes, and he uh, he followed me on
1: Twitter. He's alive. He yes. kicked me off his TV show, um, some years later, publicly. I was on the show and uh, thrown out for protesting some stuff he was saying. I Started shouting at him from the audience. But he's the king of protests. I mean, I don't know, that's what I was shocked about. That's another story. Okay. Um, I forgot about that. More so. He used to be my hero and then he did this, you know. And I was not around. Uh, Bruce, you know, mm-hmm. was the guy, but he was so messed up. So.
0: Okay, so you were doing stand up. I, I, you-
1: I was with his, his wife. she found out he died.
2: Lenny? Lenny? Lenny,
1: Lenny Bruce, yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm just remembering. The good thing is that I've got a lousy memory. The good thing is I keep journals. And I've always kept journals. And real thorough journals. I haven't in the past years since I've been very, very happy and I don't seem to need them as much when I'm really happy. But I kept journals through a lot of periods. They were like my anchor. And I, I'm going to look that up. I don't, I would, yeah. I think I was with his daughter the night he died. It's
0: Kitty. Is Kitty? I
1: don't Kitty remember. Kitty
0: Bruce? I think Kitty.
1: No, I don't remember I don't her name. Know. I'm sorry. This probably shouldn't be on. No. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, but he was a, certainly a hero and a role model. And that's what I was about to do in London. Mm-hmm. I was with Georgia Brown in London. And when I met you know, Judy Garland and she was so nice to me, I told you that off camera? Right.
0: Around? Off camera. Oh.
1: See, that's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, see, I told you we I shouldn't talk. Tell my actors, we, don't
1: ever, I don't want to hear anything. I good. know, I didn't I want, want us talking. You
0: and Louise blabbing away the show. We got here too early. <laughs> we, we got here too. So, Henry has a great story about Judy Garland.
1: So No, just so well, she was nice to me. And I was coming down with hepatitis, and I didn't know that. And my girlfriend, my lady friend then, Georgia Brown, treated me very badly because she had gotten me an English doctor who looked me over, said there was nothing wrong with me, and gave me pills that turned out to be tranquilizers and sleeping pills. And I to was calm com- when
0: hit your anxiety. Con- I was nuts.
1: <laughs> and it turned out I came down with hepatitis. But until I knew mm-hmm. what it was, it was a tough period. And the only person who treated me well was Judy Garland oh. I had lunch luncheon at Dirk Bogart's house that I told you about. And she understood complaining about feeling bad. And other people not taking you seriously wow think about it, judy garland she really, wow she really got that and mm-hmm. that's what she told me all about her childhood and the pills to keep her going and that was before she did it publicly before anybody wow. yeah it was 64 in london 1964 wow. at uh, dirk bogart's house at that luncheon.
0: you ha- you know everybody you, know. you 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 know a lot i mean the, the, you I and Natalie know,
1: I don't know anybody who's famous now. I can't. I look through these things or these magazines. I have no idea who anybody is.
0: Well, but you know a lot of people that I knew, are I knew, the... Yeah. Well, Natalie... Natalie Wood. Tell us about a, Natalie
1: Wood. No, she, we, we were together for a while. That's uh, Holy... That's how, 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 you. She was a very sweet girl. W- w- at what period? In 64. In? Okay. After Georgia Brown. She was... Uh, yeah. She, she was, was already a star. Oh, she was, she was the biggest star in America.
0: So how did you he meet her? I
1: got, I don't want to say that, but okay. I, I persuaded Redford to use Redford, which made him a big, big star. Um, she had the power of choosing co-stars or choosing directors. Um, anyway, um, she was really terrific. She did a great drawing of me. Did you see that? Yeah, I haven't seen the one she did on of stair- you. I saw what you did of her. Oh, that's what's on the staircase? What I did of her, not her of me. Yeah, she. That's I don't the- know. You sent
0: it to me. I didn't oh, see it in the house. I'll, I'll
1: send you the one of her. She did a funny one of two of She she was a very sweet, but uh, she had a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And she had tried to kill herself Mm. uh, twice. And um, the relationship finally couldn't work because of that.
2: Mm. Do you have a theory about how she died?
1: There is nothing to talk about how she died. The idea of having a theory about it is absurd. Because it's a simple fact. And these people who are making up nonsense should be shot as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there isn't a mystery. What's the fact? The fact is they all got drunk. Mm -hmm. He got into, the two guys got in, were arguing and Mm -hmm. drunk and arguing. She said she's going to bed. Mm -hmm. Then she got pissed off. Then she decided, fuck them. She's going to go in the thing and go to town, and get in the hotel where she could have quiet and peace because they were shouting up there. Mm -hmm. She put on this jacket or whatever it is, got down and fell off into the thing because she was drunk. Mm -hmm. They were all drunk. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And she had a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. Twice I had taken her to, you know, Oh really? uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, and um, you remained friends? No, not at that time. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I saw her socially a couple of times, but I didn't know her. No, this is that that she died twenty years later than when we were. Mm -hmm. um, But she—it's no mystery, Mm -hmm. and it's so unfair to R. J. Wagner, you know, to to uh, you know imply that he somehow wanted her dead it's uh, its absurd mm-hmm. it's just silly nonsense it's worse than that you know it's just uh, it's what happens with celebrity uh, in this culture that they, they can just start making up crap and you're dead so, so how did you become people?
0: a part of celebrity so you left you left New York what got how you how did you become a part of what do you mean a
1: part of celebrity I'm sorry Henry. Henry, Henry I was a young actor yes and I was at a party mm-hmm. and um, Natalie Wood and I hit it off at a party we started going together yeah, but you also, you were an actor, you, you were on yeah. Gidget, you was on Gidget, and the Flying Nun. I was Nun. a guest star on Gidget and the Flying <laughs> Nun. Uh, Sally Field was, was this cute little girl, and I was on those two shows, yeah. And
0: so how did you...
1: But that wasn't, the, you know, I mean, uh, that didn't, my career didn't go th- from that to, to, I, because I, oh, you don't know that, Dusty Hoffman got the graduate, and I was washing my seat, my feet, my seat, my feet. <laughs> I was washing my feet in my sink in this little house that I was in at that point where I got the message from the producer that uh, they cast this guy who I knew from New York very well, Dusty Hoffman. We'd written a song together. We hung out together a lot in New York. It's weird now saying his name with all this stuff that's going on. I just don't even know where I just met
0: him right before that exploded. Oh, I don't even know. know. so you're washing
1: your feet in the in sink. In the sink, and I get this phone call. And uh, I had been friends. My problem was I had been friends and knew Buck Henry and, and knew Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. And when I was in there as an actor, instead of just doing that, I was talking to them about the script and I was being a director-to-be mm-hmm. and a writer. And I, it was the wrong way to get the part. Mm-hmm. And I, you auditioned but, for that part for and, Benjamin? I'm saying that when I got the phone call saying I didn't get the part and Dusty Hoffman got it, I said, I'm not going to be an actor anymore. I called up what had been my age, and I said, I'm through as an actor until I can put myself in my own films. I'm going to start directing, and uh, I, I, there's no power here. And you can't endlessly be sitting here waiting while you're washing your seat in the sink, your feet in a sink, your <laughs> seat in a sink, while watching your feet in the sink, washing my feet, don't ask me why I was washing my feet in the sink, but I was, and suddenly I get a phone call, and then you're so vulnerable as an actor at, you're waiting for that phone call, and it tells you that this guy you knew from New York, who isn't, wasn't nearly as cute as you were, um, and you thought, well, he's good for character roles, but i you know, yeah. Uh He gets the part. And he deserved it. Look what he did with his career. But um, it was devastating. I still haven't seen him. I, I, I still can't watch... Yeah, I know that, that Tana can't believe that. I can't, I still can't watch him uh, ben, play Benjamin. That was my part. I
0: had no, I, I have never heard this story, but I had no idea you were up for that.
1: Catcher in the Rye was the single most important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And the script suddenly shows up, and I, I have an audition for a part that seems like Holden Coalfield mm-hmm. a little later on. Mm-hmm. And was my dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, was, it was like...
0: And it came down to you and... No,
1: it. I'd love to say that. Oh. The story would be better. <laughs> uh, much better if it had come down to me and Dusty. <laughs> No, but I think I might have been in the running, let's put it there. Wow. I knew that I blew certain things at the audition because instead of just being Benjamin, mm-hmm. I was saying, you know what's better about this line? If you, you know, if this um. is directed, and then I was talking as a writer-director yeah. already, and it was undermining, I think, their thinking of me, and they, they knew me socially as a thinking person, talking mm-hmm. and intellectual, let say. Mm-hmm. And um, Dusty came in as an actor, did the right thing. He just played the part. uh,
0: Although, from what I've heard about him, is that he, I guess later in his career, would have a lot to say about the way things were written, characters were written and stuff. Oh,
1: to the point where I got calls from directors, I won't be specific, but constantly, what do I do about this, how do I handle this, him, and yeah, yes, he was difficult to be on belief, apparently, but he did great work, Mm -hmm. great film work, which I never would have done. As an actor, I was, I was cute. You know what I mean.
0: You um, were like a tough guy in a couple of things that I saw. I was playing
1: <laughs> a little bit of Brando, a little mm-hmm. bit of James Dean, but it wasn't real, and it wasn't going to sustain. Mm-hmm. He, he, like Jack Nicholson, that those careers are deserved. You know.
0: So how did you? How did that? Because you, you and Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper go what? Henry edited Easy Rider,
1: and that's a no, up? no, no. Jack no. and I.
0: Okay, Jack. Okay.
1: we co co editors. Well, we weren't the editors. We, editors were the physical guys who did the, the, the physical cutting. Okay. And uh, we didn't do that. We sat at each screening and decided what should be changed. And Jack said, "Don't. I don't want to be accused of anything with my part, so don't do anything. So I was able to, all those scenes, uh, Peter, anyway, uh, Dennis had, had, you know, the scenes at the fireplace, all those uh-huh. scenes. Uh, it, it had a lot more Dennis than it does now and a less, lot less Jack. So I was able to help there and other places. And it was the success of that unexpected film, because I thought it was going to be a piece of you know, nonsense for kids, you know, a bike movie. I was the only one who wasn't high at, this, at the big screening, the only one in that entire audience. And Dennis had a cut that was about four hours, three hours and 50 minutes long, with endless rides and songs. And they were all stoned, and they all thought it was great. I was, I was, I was bored to death. And, I, and that's when I said to Bert, you know, and he said, "What do you do about?" It? And, I said, and I came in and started working and helping them cut that down. Jack, wow. and, I, Jack and I really sat in adjoining editing rooms. I think we're, we had a lot to do with the success, but it was Dennis's film, very much Dennis's film. But I, I, I think I have, You know, Jack and I went when he, when Bert Schneider told him he had to get a haircut for this part because he was playing this southern lawyer and so on. He didn't. This is who we really were then. He didn't want to get his haircut because it was, you know, sixty-eight or sixty-nine. And uh, hair was important to us, yeah. <laughs> so I went down with the barbershop shop at Columbia with him to make sure that he really got it short, you know. And I, I just never forgot that getting him his haircut, Jack Nicholson for that part.
0: How, how did you uh, How did you become friends with?
1: with we we we, were, we hung out. To, I don't know people. You were
0: you were already out when you first. Uh, I remember out.
1: exactly how we became okay. friends. I bet it's not that interesting a story. We, I was at a screening. I had been invited to a screening, and I was two women were talking behind me, and I kept telling them to shut up. And it, they were, and when the lights came up, it turned out one of them was Carol Eastman, who had written the movie that I was seeing, um, Ride the Whirlwind. Jack was in it, mm-hmm. and I got to know Jack and be very friendly with Carol Eastman and Jack, and uh, and you know, and Bob Rafelson and Rich Schneider. So um, yeah, Jack and I spent a lot of, a lot of, we, we. You were we, in his film. Uh, in his first film, we, we had made a deal. Okay. Uh, that we would be in each other's first film as a director and when uh when his film came around he gave me that part and when mine came around i had this part for him but by then he had become a star because it was three years after easy Rider, mm-hmm. 71 70 we shot it in 70 so it was two two years i guess after easy Rider. he already was getting right um and he's and he couldn't afford i couldn't afford him because my entire movie was the, it was a million dollar budget and mm-hmm. i think that's what he was at that point getting so he did it for colored television Wow, there was a new kind of colored television mm-hmm. with projections behind it, I remember. It was weird, it's an old-fashioned looking thing now with Mm. color, three color lights projecting behind it or something, and it didn't cost very much, and he did it for that, because we had promised each other we would do each other's first movie.
0: Did you make that same promise with Dennis Hopper? Because you were in his movie as well.
1: Uh, I wasn't, no, we never made that promise. Uh, We weren't the kind of friends I was with Jack. Mm. Uh, We were friends, but Mm -hmm. Dennis was a little nuts, always. Jack was not nuts at all, not Jack was great. Dennis, you know, he depended what he was taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but we he, we did, you know, Easy Rider. I mean, uh, oh, track, but tracks, tracks, tracks. Trying to remember my own movie. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how did you segue from being an actor to being a filmmaker? How did that happen?
1: Well, I wanted to make films all along, mm-hmm. but I had tucked that behind the acting thing. Then, my washing my seat in the f- feet, Your feet in the feet in sink. the sink, seat in the sink. <laughs> my washing my feet in the sink. Getting the phone call, no more acting until like I could put myself. So I started, I'd been writing scripts. I started trying to get an agent for the scripts. Telling everybody, I wanted, I went to Israel during the sixth day, right after the Six-Day War, right at the tag. And I shot a lot of footage I put together, and I showed it to a lot of people. Bert Schneider was one of the people. Mm-hmm. And when they came to certain problems with, with Dennis on Easy Rider, he remembered, he said, you're a good editor. I said, I am. because so what I actually had done was stuck together with Scotch tape these little five-minute clips on the end, I didn't do any editing. I would run up to the tank to do a close-up, and then I'd run way down the sand dune to get the soldier's guy <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know I was doing what was called editing in the camera, uh-huh. I had no idea. So Bert thought that was good editing, I didn't tell him uh, that I, you know, what, I didn't know anything about <laughs> it. And that's how I got the job. Wow. He liked that, that whole movie of mine, and um, he uh, hired me. He, and then he gave me the break, he was amazing. Then he saw a safe place, which was a very—if po- you've seen it, mm-hmm. it's a very poetic and abstract film. It's mm-hmm. not a conventional film, and it's not what anybody expected, it's certainly not what the studio, it's Columbia, Pictures mm-hmm. expected. And, he, and the lights come down, and I see he's got tears in his eyes, my producer. And he, he said to me, "It's going to lose every penny we put in it. It's a disaster." But he's got tears in his eyes, and i i been through the experience with Easy Rider, where he had—we've been cutting for. I don't know, half a year, three-quarters of a year, everybody's, was got involved. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was going to tell me we have to cut this and cut that, and this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm not going to touch it. I said, why? He said, because it made me cry. That's who Bert Schneider was. Wow. And he let us He let me release the film, Columbia release it, he made them release it, as it was, abstract and poetic. And, you, and uh, it was a disaster, commercially. And it took me five years to, to get together the deal that uh, you know to make tracks so that's that's you know that he was an amazing man he was responsible for everything that changed Hollywood in the 70s everything easy rider five easy pieces last picture show um, you know he he gave everybody a chance mm-hmm. and he he was just phenomenal he was an incredible man altogether he's responsible for the whole change in Hollywood more than any other individual was
0: you've had incredible mentors
1: um yeah i guess he was certainly he had been my i know he had been my counselor in camp he's the one who had tortured me when i would read after dark of my comic books and i had to stand out in the dark holding two rocks while he dribbled water on my forehead that's some sort of kind of jewish torture it wasn't serious torture It was go like jewish camp torture you know it's like okay i'll drip a little water on you and you hold the rod and it's like oh my god this is terrible <laughs> now go back in there and don't do that again don't read after dark and he'd been my counselor camp. He'd been, he was extraordinary. His life is. If anybody could be, if, if there were a knife, Scott Fitzgerald now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that kind of a writer, anybody wants to, wanted to do the real story of Hollywood, the real story of, of Hollywood, I mean, that would be the Bert Schneider story. Wow. That would be, that would be the extraordinary
0: So how, how did you, how have and you... you don't know
1: anything about him, right?
0: Well, not, uh, not like this. I just heard the name. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know who he is. But I'm saying I mean, people don't know yeah. who
1: are, but It's amazing. It's,
0: yeah, I don't know the depth yeah, I, uh, yeah, of the no. man. I don't know who the man is at all.
1: Yeah, it's a profound, it, it was a prof- it's a profound story. His, uh, his trip.
0: Well, maybe you're the but one who's
1: supposed to... No, I can't do it. Look, it's like Anais name. I couldn't do that. She gave me all her books for $1. What? One of the studios, I think it was Fox, wanted to pay her $200,000. She needed money for *Spying the House of Love, which is one of her novels. Mm -hmm. And she came to me and she said, I want to give you all my novels for $1. I said, what? They just offered you $200,000. She said, if I take it, I'm going to be miserable all, all my life. They're going to make a movie of it. It's going to be garbage. They're not going to know how to do it. At least I know if you do it, because I do she loved the safe place, and she's, you know she supported the safe uh-huh. place. She took it under her arm, 60 millimeter of to college campuses, and showed it to women, took my name off, and showed it to women as an example, example of the female expressiveness in film, and then told them it was a man. Wow. So they didn't know until after, and all these women were discussing it. And then she loved pulling out the fact yeah, she was, she was an extraordinary. Do you ever read her diaries?
0: I, 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 I have read sections.
1: and diary, The last diary, I'm in a lot of it. And uh, I, I really tried to make her feel, you know, what I did with Orson, try to make her feel better about the fact, because as they got older, they weren't being the big stars that they had been, both wow. Orson and her. It's an interesting sort of syndrome, obviously, with a certain kind of fame that comes mm-hmm. early. and then,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, she was quite a wonderful woman, too.
0: That's another kind of mentor, and uh, was she a mentor? I don't know
1: what a mentor exactly means. I don't think Orson was exactly a mentor either, okay. because as, I, as he said, I didn't make movies the way he would make movies. Mm, that's true. He wanted to bring elephants, as he said, up to Rome and then cross over into the, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to have people sitting around, as he said, talking in the, in the bedrooms <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, living rooms and seeing what's, what's new and talking about their issues. You know, he didn't, uh, he didn't make movies like that. So, no, he wasn't a mentor. He was a real friend. I just tried to make him feel hopeful, and tried to get somebody in Hollywood. See, all my friends had become now the big people in Hollywood. Suddenly, mm-hmm. all our unemployed people were now running studios. <laughs> they were the actors and stars and the directors, and so I tried to get him a movie to make another movie to get mm-hmm. money. And mm-hmm. they all wanted to have lunch with him, and then they all turned him down, wow. so, one by one. Something came up, or they couldn't do this, or they couldn't do that, or you know. They wouldn't do it for below their salaries. All different kinds of stories. So,
0: wow. Yeah. So how did you manage to make almost a movie a year? Well, it seems like, I guess it was I kept the budgets
1: low. Mm-hmm. It was a very simple formula. And I sold off a lot of the rights to mostly Europe uh, before it was open. And they knew in Germany that my films would be worth a certain thing, mm-hmm. so they'd give me $80,000. They knew in Scandinavia, they'd say, give me 60000 I put together five, six countries, I got a million, or whatever I needed, sometimes just 600000 so and like Tracks was 500000 And finally, and you know, people like Zach Norman, you know, Phil... I uh, love Zach. Zach. Um, Howard Zucker is mm-hmm. his business name. You know, he raised money for me. From doctors and dentists and tax schemes wow. that existed, and, you know, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, no studio was going to look at Has that
0: been in every one of your
1: films? No, no. no. He's been in at least A lot, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I think mm-hmm. seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. He's a wonderful character, comedian and actor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but he's also, under his real name, Howard Zucker, a tremendous uh, heart rate. He can raise money. Wow. He's really good at that. And that's, uh, from the beginning, he's been a big, big, I mean, I never would have gotten my second tracks made without him. And we had to give it up. I decided to give it to Bert Schneider to make Hearts and Minds. Because of the Vietnam War, and one of those, too many stories. Anyway, um, Zach was instrumental in, uh, in helping me.
0: So let's talk about your current film.
1: Good. Road I've to Zakopane.
0: Let's let's talk about it. because Road to
1: Zakopane we... is a story <laughs> about a Jewish, young youngish, 30s, Jewish businessman who meets, gets on a train going from um, across Poland in the 1920s, as in fact my father did. And it's a story based upon a true story that my father told me about something that happened to him. I spent the last 30 years of his life taping my father's stories. That's the basis Aww. of a lot of the book that I've been writing. Which we'll talk about in a minute. I would be very appreciative, but I don't know you're doing very good. You're getting them all in, that's nice, thank you.
0: <laughs> my pleasure. Um,
1: he, he was on a train, he mm-hmm. was a young businessman, he was going, and he, and he got into a car with a bunch of people, uh, and they were all suddenly talking about Jews. Mm-hmm. And he was a Jew, mm-hmm. a very conscious Jew, uh, very committed, not religious, but very committed to his Jewish identity, mm-hmm. as his, his whole family was. And he, he um, decided not to say that he was Jewish, but as he thought, he could make, do better propaganda for the Jews as a non Jew speaking. Mm-hmm. And he, so he did, and he said, You don't know, why are you saying that? And that's not so, you know. And they tempered themselves, but one of them was really out of control, which was his Polish nurse, mm-hmm. who was violently anti Semitic, who actually said the line that she could smell a Jew a kilometer away. And he decided, OK, I'm going to, this is how he told me. In the words he told me, because my father was a very elegant man, and he said, I'm going to kiss the girl and then tell her that which he meant he was going to sleep with her and in fact that's what happened mm-hmm. he, they went to this Polish resort and the rest you have to see the movie I did uh, yes I know but yeah. I didn't want to I realized I was already giving away too much yeah. but he, he um, it, so it's a true story mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the dialogue is, is of course invented but the, the characters and the situation and even some of the dialogue like her saying the thing about I can smell the Jew a kilometer away mm-hmm. is not invented
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a story about bigotry and also about uh, humanity that uh, you can find the humanity even in a bigot
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, that's a kind of an extraordinary and that's why Tana Frederick is so amazing in mm-hmm. because both on stage where we did it, it ran for a year out here mm-hmm. and uh, in, uh, in the film as you've seen she manages to go from this sweet sort of innocent to, person to this very disturbing bigot mm-hmm. and yet this person who's in love mm-hmm. and it becomes I think Kind of important, and mm-hmm. um, I'm very proud of the film. Also, the technique, which I don't want to go into, but it's unique. We mm-hmm. did something very unique technically with the film, and I think it's. Uh, and it's opening in May, and your program is here in California.
0: It's everywhere. It's we're everywhere. we're
1: all over the world, Henry. <laughs> well, for people in LA, it's it's at Lebelith's theaters. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, what I'm happy about is one right down here, in Santa Monica, on is it Fourth Street. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now tell us about the book. The book I've been working on for 18 or 19 years. And uh, it's going to be finished this year. I really mean that. <laughs> and its um, it, I do something interesting. I think it works, from my point of view, great. But we'll see whether the people go for it. It's two things. It's, it's a brief history of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like an incredible conceit. Uh, because it's it's, like, <laughs> not <so brief. laughs> it's not so brief. Yeah, yeah it's not like so brief. Five thousand years, and three thousand significant years. Yeah. Uh, and um, but but and it's only four hundred and maybe 30, 40 pages. And what I did was I used family, and it's called that, and a, a, fa- a family memoir and a brief history of the Church people. And what I did was I use, I'm born in London, and I use I talk about being born in London. Mm-hmm. And then I use that as the way to get into the history of the Jews in England. Okay. My father's born in Russia. I use that as the way to get into my mother in Germany. My aunt was in hiding from the Nazis in France, in occupied France. I tell that story. I've got some letters from her. that are, And then I go from that into the history of the Jews in France. And one by one, I go through the whole world history. We come to America.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We arrive. I go into the history of the Jews back from the earliest people coming from Brazil in the 1600s. So, uh, the Jews that started coming to America.
0: What? Is that so? Wow, I had no See, idea. Yeah, you know, <laughs> most
1: people don't. It's, it's written for you. It's written for people like you, Jews and non Jews, mm-hmm. who are interested in this phenomenal history but don't really know amazing mm-hmm. things. Like, this is, I mean, the Jews started coming here in the 1630s, 1640s. No idea. Uh, the synagogue mm-hmm. that I was bar mitzvah in, mm-hmm. Temple Sherith Israel, is the oldest one in America. It was from the 1600s. Um, huh. Spanish and Portuguese, Wait, right. where and is they it? were Jews who came
2: mm-hmm.
1: from Brazil, mm-hmm. and mostly they were refugees from the Inquisition,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and getting away, and therefore they were Sephardic Jews. They mm-hmm. were, like we are Ashkenazi, right. mm-hmm. they were Sephardic, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a fascinating history, the Jewish Wait, history is, is just... Where is temple? It's at 70, but now, it wasn't there then, but it's the same congregation, Right. it was the oldest congregation in America. Temple Sheriff Israel is now on 70th Street, uh-huh. uh, and Central Park West.
0: And where the where, from where was, it was where was it originally?
1: Do you know downtown uh-huh. whatever New York started downtown, mm-hmm. old New York in mm-hmm. the sixteen hundreds and the seventeen hundreds. Oh. And there are many wonderfully interesting stories about Jews in the Civil War, on both sides. You know the Surgeon Generals of both armies were Jewish, uh, both the North and the South. And really, uh, the stories are phenomenally interesting. I had
0: did you did you know this, Louise? I did not know that. I did not know any of this. No,
1: this is, and I could tell you a thousand facts, all of which are like you'd say, oh, really, because they're interesting. They're yeah. really interesting to us. So tell, So your I'm, book is going to be I'm,
0: interesting, is what we want to know, Completely. If you, because it's a little dry, the history of the Jewish people. It's like, uh... uh I know. But, but you're, know not, to, you're a storyteller. That's why, that's
1: why I'm trying to put the... I'm trying to figure the right way to let <laughs> people know about that. So that's why I, I, I put the third stone on, the, on, the, on the, the... The third stone on the second row. Was that the title?
0: I have a, the yeah, third stone on the second yeah. row, of family memoir. Because
1: that stone, because Moses had a brother named Aaron, okay. who was the first high priest of Israel. He wore a plate, a golden plate thing, with eight stones on it, uh, 10 stones on it for all the tribes, the 10 tribes of Israel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My name was taken in Russia by an ancestor who I specifically talk about, mm-hmm. how he chose the name and how that happened, from the Bible, which was about one stone which was so brilliantly beautiful, that God averted His eyes at looking at it, something like that. Uh, the yahawam, and that's what became Yagloam, which in the West became Chaiwa. Ah. So um, I go into that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I also go into you know the history of every Jew. It's not just about my family. Right. My family is the kickoff point mm-hmm. for the whole history of the Jews in whatever area I'm talking about,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. Um, and it's, it's but a, you tell it as a storyteller. It's, it's a complete story mm-hmm. and it's fascinating mm-hmm. because it's not dry mm-hmm. and it's so full of amazing facts,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and um, it's, it's totally entertaining, what can I say? And you have great passion for it, so I know it will be. Is there anything it's else? It's fun to read, you'll see that. Uh, that okay, it's just fun, it's just mm-hmm. not dry. Even going back, I start, you know, even going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, those guys.
0: I avoided Hebrew school. My father was a Hebrew teacher. I was kicked out of Hebrew school. Yeah, my I, too, had to go, I didn't go. My
1: father had to go back, <laughs> do some business with them, to get, uh-huh. me, to, to get me bar mitzvah, Because I had, to, I had explained to the <laughs> rabbi that kosher was because of health cons- concerns in ancient days, mm-hmm. not because God said anything about, you know... Shellfish. Pigs or shellfish. <laughs> and I, and then he said, no, it's because God... And I told him, look, my father explained to me the reality. Why don't you... And they kicked me out. So uh, he had to go back and do some deal. So um,
0: that first book about the Jews, though the Bible, bestseller. That's right. That's right. It's a
1: hell of a book, and I do the whole Bible I think in about twenty five pages. So it's in, in other words, it's it's essences. It's really good entertainment. You'll see. That's I'm not. Okay. So speaking stuff about your anybody.
0: passion and your essences, is there anything? Still burning for you that because you've told a lot of stories, you've made a lot of movies, you've written a lot of plays, you've written books. I it's, never know ahead of time. Ah. There's a,
1: there's, sure, I'm, I'm I don't think that I'm in any way lacking interest in doing stuff. I've been so obsessed with the two things my new movie mm-hmm. and my new book. Mm-hmm. That That's the, a lot for the moment, it's got me completely absorbed, and they both will be coming out this year. I just don't know yet about publishers. I, I've never been in this field. I don't know, do I go to ju- publishers of things specifically about Jewish history mm-hmm. or general? I have no idea yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process, but it's, it's a very exciting one. And the fun, the thrill is keeping doing stuff that keeps you excited. Yes. And I never have had a problem finding things that keep me excited.
0: Well, I think that your passion shows in everything that you do. And I think that's... Um, your passion and your truth. I mean, the fact that you... That your movies are real people sitting around talking about real things yeah. um i hope that that more of our viewers will discover um that large history and library of yours oh, that would be very nice of all do you things. do you have a do you have any is do you have a favorite no.
1: it's like what kid is your favorite yeah, kid they, that's the answer always no I, I really don't i think some of them tell more about me like uh, um um Venice, Venice mm-hmm. is more me, mm-hmm. uh, my sense of the life and world, and uh, others about marriages and relationships, like always, I mean, are very universal. Eating was a huge hit mm-hmm. because every woman wanted to see it, and men walked out of the theaters in droves. Really? And broke up related. It was incredible, and we got calls from all these theaters all over the country because the popcorn was all gone, uh, but none of the, uh, you know, that stuff that they use for the butter. mm mm-hmm. So they had these vats of butter because nobody used. It. The women came and they took, ate the popcorn and wiped them out at the candy counters <laughs> and popcorn. And, and it was, and the men were leaving and fighting with these wives and walking out. And then women started coming with their girlfriends and some of them with, with mothers and daughters. It was very exciting. It was really interesting to see that men really hated that movie, except you know some twenty percent maybe who really care about women.
2: Wow. And.
1: Um, it was both, that was disturbing, but it was also somehow liberating. Mm-hmm. It was like, no bullshit. I, if, you, if you're going to sit and watch this movie, you have to be interested in women. Uh, you, you're you're going to be bored to death otherwise. It's just not for you otherwise.
0: I cannot tell you how many men have absolutely no, well, you know, have absolutely no interest in women. They go out with them, they sleep with them, That's they bed them, but in, they yeah. don't want to hear a word
1: that no. a woman has to say. And they don't want to know about their lives? No, no. of course not.
0: Most men are—they just
1: talk. Yeah, they, but that's they don't why. Thank God, all. women are not now nearly as much, and much more taking it into their own hands, mm-hmm. not waiting for men to do this, and that, and the other. I mean, what's going on now is just revolutionary, I think, and it's magnificent. It's still very difficult. I know. I'm mm-hmm. not suggesting it's mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, over, yeah. but it. Thank God, what's happening is just terrific, sensational, as in what is happening with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll just see if we get rid of this moron who's, you know, there. Uh, Saturday you know. was very encouraging. It was very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Very, very encouraging. And mm-hmm. we just can hope, you know, that uh, even those people who we can't understand how they can still be for him, especially the women, uh, will somehow be penetrated, you know? Some you think? Them. I think a bigger percentage than they think. Really? will stay home. We we'll, won't vote for him again.
2: I agree with Henry.
1: Yeah. I, I really think so. it's making a huge dent. And it's not reflected in the polls because the people who are going to the polls are not that. that. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's a, it's, I think it's gigantic. And combined with these kids mm-hmm. and what's going on with these kids, I think it's one of the best times in history, ironically. I think having him in there has provoked us into having the best women's movement and the best kids' movement. Whoever would have thought that. I, so, I haven't marched since, the, since
0: 1972, and I've been marching... Right, and you, have,
1: and you didn't have an impulse since 72, even though all these things were going on. That's it was just correct. like, well, this is the way it is. And suddenly you can't bear it anymore. Absolutely. Because this, this guy is such a wonderful face of ignorance and, and, and disgustingness. Mm. You know, He's such a perfect person to put your, all your resentment on and your anger on and your righteousness mm. against. Uh, I think that helps us enormously. I think it clears the, the air, you know, and it really divides, it puts you on the side. I have a very great confidence that this is a great time in our history. It's
0: a call to action. Okay, it is a call to action, yeah. and actually, Anthony it's Fedorov did uh, Enough is Enough. I just sang on a gang vocal for uh, an anthem. These kids are creating anthems. Awesome. Uh, but the thing, like, Evan Handler was our guest right after the election, and he said that he he feels that the damage that's being done now we in our entire lifetime that's not so i i, I that's heard not that so. please don't let that that's say. not
1: so at all i don't know why he says that uh it, just this weekend mueller is doing this phenomenally quiet solid endless he's adding things that it's it's brilliant what's going on and it's on so many levels it's going to explode in this guy's face but more important it, it's bring out it's brought people from Staying home—it's mm-hmm. brought people from lethargy and apathy. Mm-hmm. It's just changed because it's so hugely disgusting. It is so overwhelmingly—it's insane and stupid and, and pathetic and ugly—that that that, that it's, there's no middle ground anymore.
0: It, it it's very
1: reminiscent to me
0: of the late '60s and early '70s yeah. and how it felt and yes. how I felt and. How yeah.
1: yeah, And since Vietnam, it hasn't there hasn't been a reason to go this strong mm-hmm. uh, with most people. And mm-hmm. there is now. It's just it's, it's it's not just on the edges anymore at all. Mm-hmm. You saw those kids out there. Amazing. That was just unbelievable. And the women's march before that one. I mean, have been there. Yeah. We've made a
0: little made a documentary, a little film about the women's
1: march. Yeah. Oh my god! That just seeing seeing the numbers of people on the streets, seeing that is just. Uh, it's revolutionary. It's Being absolutely... in the
0: middle of it, that feeling. I were... remember
1: because I had that experience twice. I had that with the March on Washington. I was there. You were? Yeah, I was 12. Oh, I was going to say, you were little. <laughs> I was 21, I think, 22. I love it. And my, the rabbi that married my parents, mm-hmm. Dr. Prince, spoke right after Martin Luther King. What?
2: What? What? what awesome. I kidding me?
1: Mean... No, why is it? You don't know. No, what... I mean that's you just You said you were there. There were many speakers. Yeah, remember? but I mean
0: I, the fact that you have this personal connection yes, to it's it. Yes, my book.
1: Um but I don't really have much except that he married my parents. He mm-hmm. came from Germany mm-hmm. and he understood what he was talking about here. Yeah. And he was the, he was very joke uh, Joachim Prince PRINZ. P-R-I-N-Z. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. Um and he he was something there. But but um, that was an incredible march and the other one we put out on Central well, also the March on Washington, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, that, was, that was incredible, uh, anti nuclear march. And then I brought also the Central Park to talk. Are we off this thing? No, oh, we're still yeah? on. Oh, good. This goes on more than an hour then. We, wait, we're over now. We're going we're gonna to wrap soon, but I want to hear the end but of this. But that means how, where are
0: the people? They're, oh, they're they are oh, allowed there. to go over that. an hour. Somebody asked for an
1: Orson story, but um, I'll be uh, happy to tell anybody any story. Well, I asked you for Let's an Orson stay story. Here <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the, the march on Washington, mm-hmm. and, and I got Orson. Okay, okay, I brought Orson to Central Park. We give oh, an Orson story. We had this massive rally um, uh, against weapon nuclear. Uh, when
0: when was this? Approximately
1: sixty eight. Okay. Um, and we, we, I was in this committee and the, we went to this church up there that we put on this thing and we got 400,000 people in Central Park. And there was stands built for the speakers mm-hmm. to speak down at them to, you know, the stars and the, all the different people. And I offered them Orson Welles and they got real excited. <laughs> uh, and he had been, I don't know if you know this, very important politically in the forties. They didn't even wanted him to run for Senator. He had been, he'd known Franklin Roosevelt, mm-hmm. he was a New Deal Democrat, a very progressive one. Mm-hmm. He had a, a column in the newspapers, he, he was very political. Mm-hmm. So I got Orson now, in, in his later years, mm-hmm. to come there. The problem was, it was a stadium had been built with all these stairs, and the speakers were at the very top in order to speak down to this huge crowd. Right. And I went up there to see how it was, and uh, the only way to get Orson up was he couldn't walk up the stairs. He was too heavy and not... Able to, so I thought, well, what's going on? And I saw forklifts. That these, <laughs> these guys, what's that union? Um, uh, what's that union? Uh, do you ACL. Know? No, no, no. I Teamsters. America's?
0: Teamsters. They like the Teamsters, yeah. whatever the
1: union is that that does this stuff. It might be a Teamsters even. Whatever it was, I knew a guy. You know, it's always. <laughs> I knew it, a guy. It's always, you know a guy. I knew a guy, and I called them, and what they did was they brought a forklift over. And they had these Teamsters, oh. I guess they were, doing this, and we were standing on it. It was not bigger than this table. Okay. And Orson, uh, smaller than this table, in his wheelchair, because he couldn't walk well uh-huh. with all that weight. He sat. I stood next to him holding, with one hand, one of the four things on the forklift, or the four chains coming down, and with one hand holding the back of his thing. And they swung us up. Uh, the the Teamsters, they swung us up with a crane, way up, way up, and he said, I can see this now, the headline in tomorrow's New York Times, um, uh, uh, what did he call it, he said some wonderful charming, it wasn't like, it was better than this, but it was like, um, fading actor (laughs) dies crushing young director friend. (laughs) with his wheelchair in the he gave, he, while we're going up and I, I wasn't amused i'm holding on to one of the chains holding onto to this thing terrified
0: he's not scared no
1: not a bit not a bit uh, you know if that was really a, and then we got him to the top you roll him off off this little thing i'm scared to death you know how high that is it's like uh, at least five times higher than the ceiling six oh. times higher i, I wouldn't be doing it it was well. I couldn't. I had yeah, to get you Orson, to. and he had been announced to the crowd. You know, and we had a lot of great speakers, but they really wanted Orson too. Sure. And he, he gave a massive speech. It was wonderfully received. And then we had to get back on this thing to get back down. And I, it was some of the most terrifying moments of my of my life. But it was a very exciting. Yeah.
2: Vicky, I think we have to. I have okay. to show you. Yes. what Your
0: daughter's been up to. She seems to have been singing on stage. Okay. No. You. I have to tell. I have to tell you. Samantha, went, Samantha Abelson went to see Waitress tonight and she told me at 6 o'clock tonight they were doing a karaoke drawing and whoever they picked was going to get up on stage on a Broadway, st- my daughter wants she to be a picked. Broadway actress, that's what she wants to that's do, wonderful. and she tonight got picked. Oh. And she told me what song she was going to sing from Waitress. And do you want to play it? I, I'm not going to play it on the air, yeah, okay. but I'm going to play it as oh, soon as we get funny. done. And I'm crying because this is her live stream and she's getting to live her dream. So this is yeah. a pretty fabulous moment. Yeah, I, um, I know
1: what you're doing. My, I told you my daughter's getting to let, really do stuff, and it's exciting as hell, isn't it?
0: It's really exciting. It's like
1: more exciting than anything in the world.
0: Yeah. 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 This is, uh, this is she, I knew she was going to get picked. She I didn't, knew she was going to get picked.
1: Ah, uh, I just okay. want, to, I want to tell everybody, have more children. Uh,
0: well, that Henry was saying to us before we went on the air that... Well, I, you I have two regret.
1: magnificent children, but the only regret I have in life is I wish I had four.
0: Yeah, hmm. but the great thing about children is that they have children. They, they
1: have children. not in any rush. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different kind of generation, fortunately. And my parents had children and they, they didn't get grandchildren in their lifetime until mm. my mother was gone and my father was... 95 he had a great year with my with my daughter that uh, yeah but just forget that from the other side of things you know you just wish anyway but you have two wonderful ones I have two wonderful ones but go for four, <laughs> <laughs> go for four.
0: well I, I just want to um, thank you Henry no, um, I, pleasure. I thank you
1: my personally. pleasure what could be more fun than this but
0: thank you I, I, I thank you though uh, you gave me a gift of being an actress again you put me in a couple of your you films were good Thank you. Yeah, you were good
1: with, 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 uh, Michael Imperioli. with Michael Imperioli. Yeah, it's I not, got a one on one with Michael. That's not it doesn't easy. doesn't get better than and, that. And you held your own. Thank that you. That was very
0: good. And, um, and also, I thank you for what you do for women. Um, it means a lot to me as a woman, as an actress, as a mother, as a daughter. Um, it's really important as an artist, as that's a woman very, very artist. Nice to hear. And I'm um, very grateful to you. Thank you so much for doing this. My
1: pleasure. My absolute pleasure.
0: Adore you. Thank you. We'll see you next week on The Road Taken.